Hey everyone, welcome to Project Esports for May 27, 2019. As always, I am your host, Andrew Nimsgren, alongside Dylan Beal, the only person I ever known get injured at a Magic event, and a very, very special guest. We have Luke Croft from PVA Radio. We've been interacting with a bunch. We host them all the time, but um, how are you guys both doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank yeah, you good. for coming on and... Dylan, I guess I kind of gave I'm, you a little bit of. I'm a survivor. You're of, a survivor of, of sunburnness. Yeah, I was. So I was. I was just went to a magic event on Saturday, and I I fell victim to it. You know, I mean, it claims it claims a lot of people every single year, but I didn't put on that that sunscreen, and I got burnt playing playing a card game. Like magic, it together. claims a lot of people every year. Like he's about to announce a starting. <laughs> I mean, it's an it's a global problem that we're having. And actually, there's going to be another global issue that we're going to talk about a little later on, because today we're going to be talking about a kind of a really wide variety of topics, including Nate Nazar leaving the Overwatch League, the World Health Organization officially deeming a gaming disorder, um, Valve making Dota auto chest and much, much more. But for those of you that don't know, Project Esports is a weekly esports talk show where we talk about the biggest conversations, topic and news stories from the previous weeks each and every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. And before we get into the show, we have just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, This would have been the week for Roll for Four first. But with James being on hiatus, we are also going to be putting Roll for First, our Magic the Gathering podcast, on hiatus for just a couple of weeks. Let him get back because this is a show ultimately for James and Dylan to meme about magic. And without James there, it's kind of hard to be doing that. And a reminder that we will have a guest for a couple more weeks. Awesome people like Luke coming on because James is on hiatus right now for school. But he's still around, still interacting. But he's just focusing on school because luckily he needs to graduate sometime soon. But... With that, before we get into the show, Luke, um, you want to tell us a little bit about PVA, where we can find you, a little bit more, what about that is, for those of you that do not know already? Yeah, absolutely, man. man. So uh, PVA Radio is a weekly uh, gaming podcast that I do with a couple friends, Cody Meloquan and uh, Larry Hunt, and we all have a little bit of uh, like industry background. Cody was a uh, an intern at Game Informer. I wrote for Twinfinite for years, and all three of us uh, worked at a site that I started called two left sticks, uh, back in the day. And, uh, we, we cover the three biggest gaming news stories of the week and we have an in-depth discussion about them. Uh, and that's every Wednesday over on twitch.tv slash PVA radio at nine 30. Um, and then I also host a, another podcast called Presco live where I interview Twitch streamers with smaller communities that are doing really cool things on Twitch. Um, so the first two episodes of that are live on podcast services everywhere. I talk to variety streamer Lane Pavogi and RPG streamer uh, Bag of Tricks. Um, and then I stream personally over on the twitch.tv slash uh, PVA radio account every night at nine, starting tonight, actually, uh, with a show called um, the PVA Nightly Rundown, where I'm going to run through all of the gaming news for the day. So um, there we go. I've just shilled everything that I do. You can find me on, uh, tw- on Twitter at uh, hoagie underscore OW. Awesome. Well, yeah, once again, thank you so much for uh, coming on. It's been really fun. We've only really got to know you guys the last couple of weeks now. Just started randomly interacting, I think, through a host one night. And since then, it's been a lot of fun interacting with you guys and all the ones at PVA. And 
kind of a little bit. We're going to be talking about a little bit post-show, but we are going to be doing some kind of collaboration content with PVA for E3. We're not going to talk exactly about what it is yet, but that is just kind of a tease because EA, I mean, E3 is only two weeks away, which is ridiculous. I know this is kind of more esports, but this EA time is in fact just no matter how into video games you are right now. It's so such a fun time. Yeah, it, I mean, it's crazy. It just like, rolls up you on on you so fast. I mean, it's not like Andrew had any sort of reminders about it or anything. It's not like someone was like, hey, by the way, don't forget, this is coming up soon. But, you know, that's fine because Andrew prepped for this. He has everything all ready for um, from E3 and he's he's ready for it. February 100%. is not enough time. I need more time than four months to prepare for a week of coverage. Chilling. That is just not enough time. That is not how we work here. And you should know that by now. But we are you guys doing like a stage presentation or something there. Yeah. Like, what do you need time to we, prep for? We're, we are hosting. We are doing everything. We are actually going to be on stage at the Microsoft conference. If you did not already know. But we could talk about all that later. And me and Dylan can fight in public in front of someone else. But with that, let's jump into our first story of the night and talk about the Overwatch League kind of having a road bump, I guess. I'm curious to see what you guys think this means for Overwatch League more in general. But like I kind of said at the top of the show, Nate Nazar, the commissioner of Overwatch League, um, the man that kind of helped build it from to where it is now, left now in between stage two and three. And it's been announced that he's going to go and lead the um, esports effort over at Epic Games. So what what do you think the reasoning for this is? I mean, I kind of put out the tweet. I think it's one. He's actually very concerned about the Overwatch League geolocating and think that it's not doing well. The overall Overwatch League just isn't doing great. And he just felt like now is a good time to go. Or he's getting paid a lot, a lot, a lot of money by Epic Games. Do you think it's one of those three things? Do you think he just wanted to do something new? What do you think about Nate leaving specifically? And then also, what do you think this says about the Overwatch League, if anything? You can go ahead, Luke. Yeah, so, so it, it, as far as the reasoning for, for Nate, I think that I say Nate like we're really great friends. Uh, so I'm chatting with Nate. <laughs> no, I, I think it absolutely comes down to um, to money, 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 right? Like Epic's got enough of it to throw around, as we've seen with uh, the expansion of the Epic Game Store, the number of exclusives that they're going, the profit splits that they have. So I have to imagine that they're in a much better place financially to pay somebody to be in this position. And with the acquisition of Rocket League, especially, uh, they have a lot of eggs in the basket to try to take care of that they feel like there's a lot of potential with. I mean, obviously, they're going to continue to try to build up Fortnite as an esport. And we can talk about the viability of that, I guess, at some point uh, within this conversation. But uh, I think Rocket League especially is like perfectly set up to be one of the next big esports. I mean, it has a, a pretty good scene now, but I think it can be even bigger. And a guy with experience like Nate Nanzer being somewhat of a free agent who was willing to entertain offers, like just back up the dump truck of money and say, hey, <laughs> come see it. So, uh, I mean, I, I think this also says some stuff about the Overwatch League and the position. I think that uh, – I don't necessarily think that it's a lack of confidence in the plan to geolocate next season, but I think it's just there's going to be growing pains that aren't going to be there at Epic that Nate won't have to deal with. And so why take less money to do the harder thing when you can take more money and do it? Not necessarily the easier thing, but the thing that has more uh, financial viability. I think this is a really bad look, to be honest. It does not look good at all. I mean, 
whether or not Overwatch League is in trouble or not, I think is besides the point. I think just like the commissioner leaving only like three years into his, his work with the league is it's pretty bad, I think. Uh, and I really wish he wouldn't have done this, especially since whenever the Overwatch League was started, they talked about all these things. They talked about how they're going to build it up, how they're going to eventually geolocate. And this was all done internally with Blizzard, I'm sure. And so I really wish they would have selected someone or, you know, Nate would have come on board who was going to, you know, go the distance and not kind of drop out like this. And um, I guess the question is, can you really blame him for the profit incentive of going somewhere else? I think, yeah. I think if you sign on for something like this, you should be able to go the distance because, like I said, this is potentially going to hurt the league if the commissioner leaves only three years in. I really would have rather them bring someone on board who, wouldn't have entertained these other options and maybe really stuck on board to see this vision through. And I'm not saying he has to be here his entire life, but like see the vision through, see it to where it's not in its big growing stage. And maybe it, you know, plateaus out a little bit. I think that's just hard. Yes, I understand. But esports, the industry as a whole has changed dramatically in a year and a half or two years since Overwatch was kind of announced. Nate kind of came on board. I mean, Fortnite and Epic was really not even a thing when Overwatch League was getting started. I mean, Fortnite was still incredibly popular, but they weren't throwing countless money at that. Epic didn't have Rocket League. I think there wasn't anything comparable in size outside of the LCS, really, of what was happening in the Overwatch League. And I think what this is saying is, yes, it's a lot more money, but... There are people that are made to launch and grow things, and there are people that are made to run them and get them going farther. I mean, there are people that launch countless businesses and then sell them, and then there's people that come into that business and run as CEO and build it up to where it has its most potential. But what I see this is is that Nate is the kind of guy that wants to come in, build something up, and then just wants to move on to the next project. He's not someone that wants to stay around for a long time. I understand what you're kind of saying about wanting him to get through, and I think this is a little early for him to be leaving. I think getting through that first season of geolocation and then leaving would have been a better time because, again, this is only a year and a half in. We're halfway through season two. But I think it's earlier than what I would have thought he should have left for someone that wants to come in, grow something, and leave. But I think that if it comes down to financials, which it probably is, is that that offer is not going to come around again in a year and a half because they're going to find someone to fill that position instantly. And I think it was a now or never thing. And I think it's something you don't pass up if you, if it is that dump load of money that we're assuming be with how much Epic's throwing at everything. I, I still think it's a bad thing though. I'm not I mean, just saying it's a great I, the, thing. The PR but... is terrible. The PR is absolutely terrible. If he was going to come in, grow it and then leave, I don't know, Blizzard should have like spun it a certain way. Maybe like, you know, Nate and Blizzard could have gotten together, been like, hey, like, you know, it's it's getting about that time. And this is like right in the middle of a of a season. This isn't this is terrible. Like it, whether or not you your whole goal is to come in, build something up and then and then leave. This is terrible. I think what he like what he did was put a really bad smudge onto the league. And like I, I understand everyone has their own motives, but I think you know, I think I, I don't know how I want to phrase this correctly, but I think what he did was uh, a disservice to the league f- doing this. I understand that this is a once in a lifetime thing, but like when you come on to a project like this, you got to kind of understand that, like, if you leave in the middle of a season, it is going to be a bad thing reflect 
poorly. And this is probably going to hurt a lot of sponsors potentially coming into it. Yeah, I think we have a tendency sometimes with esports though to look at it and compare it with with especially with decisions like this to traditional sports, where in traditional sports you don't generally see commissioners stepping down midseason. They're gonna they're gonna wait till the end. I, I think while this does uh you know bode poorly for the Overwatch League and it's a bad look, I, I think it also is kind of a a statement about the state of esports and how the people on the inside are seeing it, right? Like what we have to and you alluded this to this a little bit, Andrew, but uh, we're still esports is very still very much in its infantile stage, and I think that with the rush of sponsorship money that's coming into it, I think there's a bit of worry about the sustainability of it, um, especially when these sponsors go back and they start looking at numbers and say uh, and say determine how successful their their partnerships with these leagues were, and I think that for a commissioner to say I'm going to take I'm going to take the step professionally at a time where uh, it's not necessarily the most ideal for the league that I'm over now. But uh, I think it just speaks to the fact that people on the inside are seeing it as a we need to get what we can while we can get it because we're not sure what this is going to look like in the next five years. And and I and I agree and I definitely think Epic has more staying power than the Overwatch League as a whole is it's different because Nate is with the Overwatch League, an entity separate of Blizzard and can be closed down at any time. Well, here he's the head of esports for Epic, and esports is going to be a buzzword for at least five more years, or at least have a job for five more years if he wants to be there. And it's, yeah, I, I do worry about the Overwatch League kind of going back to this, and I do think this is a bad look. I, I was defending the reasons of why I think he left, but I do think this is going to have dramatic impact on the Overwatch League because more than likely... We'll have an interim um, head of the Overwatch League. I can't even think of what it is. Commissioner of Overwatch League for the remainder of the season. It's already been named. It's the current CEO. I mean, the current head of esports for all of Blizzard is who's going to be the um, interim commissioner. But you're going to ask someone to come in the Overwatch League next season. The very first time when they start geolocating. I mean, that could push geolocation back but i feel like that's almost already too late and putting someone into that position is not going to set them up to do well they're going to put it into the biggest growing season for the overwatch league and they're already not experienced with it so i think this is going to have a negative impact on it i don't think it's failing i don't think the overwatch League's going to fall apart next year but i do worry about what it's going to look like next year and how well we've done with nate versus how well it's going to do with someone being thrown into the fire yeah, I also have a hard time just, you know, banging the gavel and saying you need to be loyal and stick to something through a certain amount, especially given the track record of these big companies, Activision Blizzard, especially when it comes to how they just ax people as soon as it's, you know, it, it, they just act as though they're they're dispensable, you know. And uh, so I, I have a hard time looking at anybody making a personal decision that's best for them when that they wouldn't be afforded that same courtesy if things took a turn south uh, from the companies that were telling them to be loyal to. I agree. I mean, that's another reason why Activision should just uh, sell off Blizzard to their own separate entity again, <laughs> if only. Yeah. That's a whole different conversation. I don't. I want to get into that, but there was a reason it was bought in the first place. <laughs> hey, do you, do you think that this also kind of speaks like 
I think we all kind of know the issues that the Overwatch League is running into currently as far as viewership and engagement, right? It's the it's the piss poor meta that that's taking place. Do you think that this also kind of and look, I'm kind of wildly speculating here, but just that there are conversa- conversations that are happening at Blizzard where they like just don't know what to do about this. <laughs> like, how do we get rid of goats like we can move to a two-two-two lock, but it's going to completely screw over players that made it on into the league on certain roles and certain metas. Like this, also just speaks to me. Like Nate and Andrew would have stuck around if there were more answers on what the game itself was going to do to make it a more viable product from a viewership standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I I think that, but I think not only that, but you have so many different tiers of, you know, this company wanting different things because you have Activision who's looking basically at shareholders. You have Blizzard as a whole and you have like the director of esports at Blizzard who's looking at it through his, uh, his or her own lens. Um, and then you have the commissioner who is talking with everyone in the league. But like, you know, it, it's really hard because you, you have like everyone running it from an esports perspective. And then you have everyone balancing the game from the game perspective. And then you have to like have them kind of work with each other. And then you have to have them work with the stakeholders because stakeholders are trying to identify all the big issues with it. And there's, there's just so many moving parts of communication that uh, I could definitely see them just tripping over themselves here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I don't think it's because of the state of I guess it could be. I mean, I think that is one of the biggest problems that Overwatch League is facing is that they're reacting to a game that's a couple years older already and that ultimately they can't control the meta and they can't put in a 2-2 lock middle of the season or anything like that. That would be just as bad as Nate leaving. You can't change how the league is played halfway through the season, so they're stuck with how the game is right now unless metas change by the game balancers and you think there's some communication there, but... It's limited and you can't build the game around esports because it's a smaller game and you want the people that are playing it casually to enjoy it. And even those people aren't really enjoying Overwatch right now. But I just think that Overwatch is a game right now has a lot of problems, which ultimately affects the Overwatch League, which is what we're talking about here. Yeah, Nate's looking at it and he's like, not only am I having x amount of viewers per stream in order to be deemed successful but come next year i'm gonna have to get x amount of seats uh, butts in seats at in 20 different cities in order to be successful but yet i'm not get, being given the support from a gameplay standpoint from up top like i don't know the, the the Fortnite rocket league thing just seems like a path of least resistance to to be successful Fortnite, i mean being a battle royale, it has its own inherent difficulties in becoming its esport. But like, I, I really think that Rocket League is poised to be something, uh, pun completely uh, intended, uh, pretty epic. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> uh, but it, no, I think and Nate Nate has the opportunity to go and kind of oversee two the growth of two esports like i don't know like you two said, for now they are growing too and we get to see yeah. something else coming up that's just not announced yet and that's why nate's coming on now to prepare for whatever's next or because epic's about to buy the overwatch league <laughs> that would be incredible that'd be so funny that would that would be a power move they just buy all blizzard <laughs> yeah power move but well that's two games right <laughs> yeah well i think them buying it from activision would be a net good that would be a net good thing. You really hate Activision, but I do. We we can Dang capitalism. 
There's a lot that, of things that's going on. the point. There's a lot of things. <laughs> yes, that is true. But we can kind of wrap back on this too because we do have one more Overwatch kind of league story that we want to kind of bring in. Overwatch is a game as a whole and it's looking at kind of modding and how willing these game developers are to kind of change the games that are so important right now. And the Overwatch League Workshop is now live on the full game right now. Anyone can play it. You don't have to do PTR or anything kind of like that. And Dylan, I'm going to kind of hand it over to you because apparently Dota is kind of doing something similar and nope. just no, nope, nope. Nope. Okay, so sorry, I had a uh, kind of confusing notes, but here, let me explain it. I'm going to I'm going to explain it, po- pose the question and then answer the question. So, uh what they're doing now is they have the workshop and it's really cool cuz we saw Uno, you know, like the card game be implemented into the game. Um I think that's kind of interesting because we've seen this workshop and modding be huge in in, you know, in video games for many years. We saw the StarCraft uh, arcade do it. We saw Warcraft 3 do it. And notably, Warcraft 3 made uh, Defense of the Ancients, Dota. That's where Dota came from. It came from a Warcraft 3 mod. And so the question I want to pose is, because they have a workshop like this, are we going to see something like Dota ever happen again of where a mod comes around and it becomes huge and it blows up and eventually becomes so popular, becomes its own thing? I would say, I'm going to answer my own question, no, it won't be, because we saw this happen with StarCraft. They had a really robust uh, arcade system where people can make their own custom content. We saw really cool things like Diablo be completely remade into the StarCraft 2 engine, and it was awesome. It was great, but it didn't spin off any like unique ideas, really. Well, what do you guys think? Do you think eh, this could be different? Do you think someone's going to you know spin on its head? No, and I don't think it needs to. I think, but what this is doing is is bringing people back to Overwatch to try new game modes that they're seeing on Twitter. They brought Hero Gauntlet that has been super fun. That's all I play when I play Overwatch Overwatch right now because it's just so much fun. It's coming back in the game. And I think all they need it to be is going to be something that brings people back because there's constantly changing game modes, new things that are changing. You're able to try new things with characters. So I don't think anything's going to happen like that because of... There is still a lot of limitations versus kind of games like StarCraft or um, even Dota. I mean, I just feel like those are more made or um, or I even mean Warcraft. I'm sorry, are more made for games like this. This is still a first person shooter. And ultimately, there's still only so much you can do. Yes, they brought in Uno because games like Dota coming off or even Daisy spinning off of Arma. Those are just so rare and usually don't happen in games that are a couple of years old. It usually happens a little earlier on in the life cycle. This is usually implemented earlier on. So I don't think it needs to be. I think it'd be cool, but I don't expect it. But I think it's going to be great for Overwatch overall. Yeah, but, but Andrew would definitely ask, please do not bring up Daisy ever again uh, on the show. Uh, Dean, a.k.a. The Rocket Hall, yeah. as a, you know, he screwed me over. He screwed me over. He broke my heart. Um, all my friends were playing Daisy. They were like, this game is so fun, Dylan. You got to get it. And I was like, no, I'm not going to get Arma and do all the mod stuff. I don't want to do that. And then Daisy Standalone came out. And I was like, I'm going to get this, you know, I'm going to get this and have fun. I got the game. It's horrible. I that. Oh, trust I me. I know. Price. It wasn't good. They abandoned that game. Oh, they I know. Promised everything. He he got out of there. Dean, the wrong. No, it's coming player. out for PS4 oh, this week. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's finally oh, hitting consoles. God. The game's horrible still. Like try, terrible, oh, trust me, I, I had 300 hours in the Daisy mod, and then I tried the Daisy standalone. But no, that's not what we're getting on. Luke, what are you kind of curious about? What do you stand on this? Well, Professor Beale, um, uh, master of history, uh, gaming history, was Dota built 
off of just like freeform modding or what was it a tool that was within warcraft it's, that was made it was freeform mod and that yeah. I, yeah i think that's the difference right like I, I think it's really hard for any kind of customized game to be spun up out of a game where such it, look there's a ton of freedom in the in the workshop but there's still a lot of like things you can't do uh, within it. And so um, I think that more creativity comes out of the just freeform modding community rather than just, rather than like out of these workshops. So um, I don't necessarily see anything big spinning out of it. I agree with you, Andrew, and just that this is an engagement tool on both the player base, wanting them to come back and try out things, but also from a streamer's perspective, like the other day, Jane was doing a bunch of custom games with his audience. Uh, you know, that people had made in the workshop as well. But um, I, I think it's, a, it, for me personally, it's one of those tools that's like, man, this has me interested to go try out what other people have built. I don't have the patience to build my own. Oh, things, God, no. But, uh, but yeah, I think whenever you've got those uh, kind of guardrails put on it, it's really hard to get so creative that something like that's going to be able to catch on. And plus, I think another element of the mod community is just this kind of like, um, it's it's real inside baseball. Like you kind of feel like uh, when you get wind of a good mod, it feels like a secret you're being let in on. Whereas with the the workshop being like a sanctioned kind of thing, it kind of loses that that mystery in it as well. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah, but like I said, I I think it's been great for Overwatch. I have seen a resurgence. Queues are so much shorter overall. I mean, it's gotten me away from Persona Five, which no other game has recently. I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's unbelievable. So if it got me away from from that, it it is doing something good for the community. And I had no interest in playing much Overwatch anymore, but it's got me back to playing a couple hours yesterday, which has been the first time in a while. But yeah, Dylan, um. I'm going to yes. hand it over to you because I do not know much about auto chest and I yeah, thought so this last one was wanted, good anyways. Yeah, so I want to take this because it completely contradicts what I just said. Um, <laughs> but I think that's just because it's a very special case. Um, so the big news is that Valve is going to pick up auto chess as a standalone. So obviously auto chess came about in Dota 2's workshop as a mod and completely, you know, that was like one like an instance that like a mod actually is able to take off. Um, so even though I still don't really think that we're going to see those kinds of implications within Overwatch in their workshop, it definitely worked out for Dota 2, which is weird because it was like Dota, like it was Warcraft and then, you know, Dota was a mod within Warcraft and then Dota 2 came out as a standalone. And then now there's like a standalone mod game out of Dota 2. It's like this nice little big chain. I like it. Um, but yeah, so the big thing with this is that uh, Valve approached the creator of Auto Chess and was like, hey, we want to make this a full thing. And they were like, yeah, go for it, which is huge, is really big, especially since they, you know, got kind of permission from the, the modder. This pisses me the hell off. Really, Valve, you can make a spinoff of a spinoff, but you can't make Portal 3. You can't make Half-Life 3. You can't make Team Fortress 3. You can't even talk about any of them, but you can make a Dota auto chest. Really? It's. Okay, it, it is a little bit different because I assume that the people It's not much on, work. Yes, I understand. It's, it's much the, different. And it's also but... the Dota team. It's going to be the Dota team working on this. It's not going to be, you know, their other game dev. I don't care. Valve, where, where Valve puts their priority in time makes very little sense. Oh, no, it does. It does. It makes a hundred. Okay. Andrew, mm-hmm. would you want to make a Artifact. Game that makes a Do I need to say more? 
no, like I said, those are still small teams working on it. Do you want to use your AAA big boy team to make a game that's, that's going to been make doing you nothing for 30 years? Dollars? Wait, that's going to make you a couple million dollars? Or do you just want to run your Steam store and just like generate like billions of dollars of revenue? Easy, easy, easy clap right there. You cannot look me in the eyes and tell me that Half-Life 3 or Portal 3 would not sell five to 10 million copies. It's a risk, though. The it thing is, is not a risk. risk. It is 100% yeah. a risk because if Valve makes a game that isn't good, they will never hear the end of it. It will be, that would be, it, 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 they can't at this point. It's Duke Nukem. It's but, just gonna but be do Duke you know Nukem. what? That's a $20 million game where they make $20 million a day. Yes, there's a risk. But, but if it's financially, bad, it's but nothing. If it's bad. But but it's it, but it's different. It's, today it's totally different, right? What what is financially successful today is totally different than what would have been financially successful when it made sense to release Half Life Three. Like so, Half Life Three today, I think, would be an utter mistake for Valve to approach because the expectation, like you're saying, Dylan, expectations would be so high. But also, it's just. How do you give that game the legs to be profitable for the amount of time and resources you're going to have to dedicate into just getting it on the shelf, right? We're seeing all kinds of big developers struggle with that. You know, Call of Duty has been struggling with that as of late of like, we can attract a big player base, but how do we keep them coming back to our games and spending money with us? Whereas, look, I know nothing about Dota Auto Chess, right? But I have to imagine that they're going to figure out a way to microtransaction it and to, to give it the legs where people can come in and buy stuff because at, at its heart, it's a multiplayer-centric game where people are going to want to you know, spend nickels and dimes on you know their, their little things. So it makes more sense to take this pre-built thing and say, oh, man, we can you know uh, throw a little polish on it and we can throw a little microtransactions at it and we can make up our money in the matter of just a couple days rather than we release Half-Life 3 and there's all this risk of is it going to be good enough to meet the expectations and can we keep people – coming back to it enough with content to make it something that's profitable for us longer than just a month and a half up two months after it's released. I mean, think about like red dead redemption Two. That was another game, massive, huge, but it was like, how many people are talking about red dead redemption two now in their online mode? It didn't catch on like GTA's did, but they sold 8 million copies. Yeah. And, and look for rockstar. That may be their definition of, the amount of time, energy, and resources they'd have to pour into it, I think it'd be a lot harder for them to recoup those costs. No, I know I you're both right. I'm not disagreeing with you that it makes more sense to do Dota Auto Chess, but it doesn't mean I can't be pissed off about <laughs> nothing from three of the biggest franchises in history. Also, you know we're not gonna get Half-Life 3 ever, right? No, like, we're not getting any of them. We're never oh, but, getting But a it's three. fine because you can read the script for it. Like the the script summary that the dude released. Oh, I did see that. The, the like the lead writer. <laughs> it's just it, I just like getting upset about it because I want. You might get that. Left for Dead three. There's yeah. been Left for Dead three rumors. <laughs> I think oh. I think that's probably the most plausible. I don't think they'll try to make a a TF three. It, it'd be really hard to compete. I think in the current environment. But I mean, eh, Left for Dead three could sell. If I can go back to the original story, <laughs> um, and, and just talk for a second about the emotions I felt while reading how all of this transpired. I was a little put off by the whole, like, we couldn't work together with Drodo, the people who made uh, Auto Chess, for a variety of reasons. I, I'm, I'm curious as to what those reasons are. Um, and so that kind of frustrated me because I just think, like, if you're going to yoink something from a creator, there should be some sort of partnership to where they're, they're getting, like, their name on the box and 
you know, some credit for that. But then this whole idea that they're, uh, you know, going to enable them to make a version of the game. Uh, look, a mobile version of any game is going to be super lucrative. So I doubt, Dro- uh, is it Drodo? I don't know if I'm even yeah, saying it. I think right. it's Drodo. Drodo. Uh, the Drodo Studio is like, we don't care what box our name is on and isn't on because a mobile version of any game is just going to make money hand over fists. Yeah. And the whole idea of like bringing over the progression from PC over into the mobile version as well, I think is a really useful tool as well. That is really cool. I know a lot of guys in the BR scene who are like, I don't really play mobile BR, but I would play mobile BR if I could advance my account uh, that I'm playing on like console or PC. And so having that cross progression would be, be really cool to see. Wait, like battle Royale you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, Fortnite has cross progression. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking more like with apex legends. Apex, and the yeah, that's true. But I think apex is coming to mobile too. And I'm sure they'll know that. I think they've already announced there won't be cross progression on that either because they just couldn't build for that. But yeah, no, I, I definitely understand what you mean. I agree that the cross progression is always huge. And I guess I don't have much into auto chess. I've still never played it. I don't know much about it, but I love seeing this age where cross progression and even like Dauntless came out, the first game to launch with cross-platform play on console and PC. I think I just love seeing things like that coming up. I think that's going to be more and more common, and that's going to be affecting video games, esports, all that as a whole, because it's going to make everything more viable when everything is making more money, because it's all interconnected versus each one of them kind of being its own funnel and kind of separated. But anything else you want to kind of wrap up on? The auto chest are either touching back on either one of the Overwatch League stories from the first half. You guys are good? I'm good. I'm good. And with that, before we do jump into the second half, I just want to remind you that if you do have Amazon Prime, that means you have Twitch Prime, which means you can subscribe to any one of your favorite streamers, podcasts, anything kind of like that for free each and every month. It does not automatically renew, so you need to go to whatever channel it is, whether it's us, whether it's PVA Radio, whether it's whatever one of your streamers. All you got to do is go to the top right corner, click subscribe, and you're good for a month. You get ad-free viewing, you get emotes, you get um, little icons next to your names, you get all kinds of really fun things. So do make sure to do that, because as Dylan will always like to tell you, Amazon does not need more money, capitalism is bad, and take that back and give it where you can. So... Do make sure to do that for whichever one of your streamers that you do it, whether it is popped off, whether it is PVA or anyone else you do watch. Make sure to do that each and every month. But with that, this one is something I feel like we talked about a while back when it was first kind of brought up and we teased at the top of the show. But it's official WHO, the World Health Organization, has officially granted, deemed... They officially created a gaming disorder as a disease, whatever the terminology correctly is for that. So there is now a gaming disorder. You can be diagnosed with that as any other mental disease, addiction, or anything kind of like that. And it's, I don't know. There's been a lot of very mixed reviews on Twitter. There are some people upset about this and saying that it's a culture just like traditional sports. It's like watching or playing too much traditional sports is how some people see it. Some people are making a big meme about it. I mean, there's all kinds of different things, and I'm just curious to see where you stand on this, if you think there's merit to this kind of disease, if you think it's an over-exaggeration. Do any of you think you have a gaming disorder? Things such as that. 
I have a strong opinion on this. I think you always everyone, have a strong opinion. Yeah, I think everyone posting about how this is a bad thing is just incredibly misinformed on it because this is a really good thing because uh, it's specifically talking about gaming addiction as a disorder. And I mean, I think all of us know stories about like, you know, friends who, you know, played too much classic while back in the day, skipped out on school, like, you know, got terrible grades and stuff. And it's a good thing because this is not, you know, labeling just like people who play like a lot of video games as having gaming addiction disorder. It's just saying, you know, if it's affecting your life very negatively, um, you're able to now kind of get help with that. And not only that, they're able to actually go out and study it, you know. What are some of the causes of it? What can predispose uh, you to gaming addiction disorder? Mm. I have very strong opinions about this. It's in the opposite direction, um, which makes for a great podcast yeah. um, because I, I think this is incredibly reckless to make it so specific towards a specific entertainment medium, especially in a time where gaming is trying to overcome other uh social stigmas that are attached to it, especially with the violence and video game conversation. And I think that there's going to be a lot of uh, bridges being made between this gaming disorder and, you know, whether or not gaming causes violence. Um, and then, you know, pile that on top of the loot box conversation as well, where bridges shouldn't exist between those things. Um, and I think it was actually James on Twitter who a thread from a doctor kind of defining what gaming disorder was. And I think that, look, when we look at this thing in a vacuum by its own definition, it's a fantastic thing. I completely agree with you uh, that it puts definitions and terms and guardrails around it to where you can say if people exhibit X kind of behavior over the last 12 months, then they have a gaming disorder, um, a gaming addiction disorder. And I think that that's wonderful. But I think that we don't have conversations in vacuums. We have conversations uh, out in the wild and they're impacted by uh, our views on, on, you know, other things. And so uh, I think that people are going to be with so many uh, mental health disorders. People are, number one, going to self-diagnose <laughs> and not only self-diagnose, they're going to diagnose other people. And we've given them terms to weaponize those self-diagnoses. To for them to be able to look at their kids and say, you've got a gaming addiction disorder and start to make decisions based around that. Um, it's it's and I think that thread that uh, that James put up was uh, also said, like, you know how people are like, man, I really like to wash my hands. I must have a CD. And so they just pin that to themselves to themselves. And so you have these words that have clear definitions but when released out into the wild, then can be applied. So commonplace across, they begin to lose any meaning that they had to begin with. And I think that this is already set off on the wrong foot because all the memes about it and all the ways that people misunderstand the definition surrounding it. And so I would have rather seen some sort of uh, entertainment addiction because I think you can get a similar addiction now to binge watching television shows or, uh, or movies and, so uh, something a little more general that doesn't place it already on a stigmatized hobby that people have uh, would have been far less reckless than just coming out and being like, it's a it's a gaming disorder. And uh, just it kind of also ignoring. And I think the Sony uh, CEO came out today and was like, this ignores a lot of the parameters we've set in place to try to guard ourselves against people. Um, uh getting addicted to games, whether that's, you know, parental controls on consoles or uh, the ESRB ratings, things like that. And it seems that 
those conversations with those organizations were never had before the world health organization just came out and said, Hey, this is the thing that exists now. And I just, I, I find that reckless. Yeah. And so hey, I, before we get into anything more, I want to actually put out the definition of what WHO kind of said about this before we go on the conversation. I know you have more opinions and I have things I want to say too, but it's so it's officially defined as a pattern of gaming behavior characters by impaired control over gaming. Increasing priority given to gaming over other activities to the extent that gaming takes precedent over other interests and daily activities. The continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. I feel like that's incredibly broad and it can't be translated to things like binge watching TV. People absolutely can have that same kind of addiction to watching TV over doing other daily activities and having it get to the point. I I, I highly disagree because I view this very similar to gambling addiction. So the reason why this would not be lumped in with gambling addiction, why you wouldn't lump it in with uh, just any media consumption is the interactivity that be, that is inherent to video games and that's behind video games. A lot of times we're talking about games that, you know, they, they talk about all games, but obviously, you know, I'm sure the addiction rates on playing a visual novel are just like staggeringly low. There's, you know, there's probably not too many people are addicted to visual novels. But if you have games like WoW, um, you know, MMOs, games that reward progression, um, I obviously I'm 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 definitely not, uh, you know, highly educated with this or have any degrees in and stuff. But you know, those things like almost attack like the the center of your brain that gives you the rewards. Uh, the things that don't hit the same brain when you watch a TV show or you watch a movie, you're not having that direct interface with it. Um, same thing with gambling. You're having that direct interface with this game. And, you know, obviously there's some other variables into it, but they're still kind of uh, based on the same, like, you know, interaction reward system that could lead to addiction. And I totally agree with what you said, Luke. I definitely think it is definitely terrible that people are interpreting it this way and i think you know a lot of the underlying issues of people you know uh having this kind of conversation around it it's just because uh like you were saying a lot of people aren't very informed a lot of people you know stigmatize mental health and they're you know in an ideal world of where people did not have that i think this would definitely be 100 percent of a good thing that they're able to study and help people with it but because they don't, unfortunately, we are going to have this negative backlash. People are going to, you know, throw out those claims. People are going to associate it um, with violence in video games too, all these negative things. But I think overall, it is a net positive thing. There's a ton of negative that's going to come with this. But I think the overall, um, you know, resources that can be dedicated to it, to study it, to understand it, to maybe look and say, hey, we now have, you know, I know there's already uh, the studies out there that prove this, but, you know, even more studies that prove that uh, violence isn't inherently tied to video games can also be brought out there. And then I think the best thing of all is that, you know, people who actually do suffer from some of these things can actually get help now. Um, but I definitely don't want to take away from like the negatives because there are going to be a lot of negatives. But I do think we should definitely see that it could be a net positive thing overall. But w would they have not been able to get help? with it before. I mean, just adding a definition, I, uh, you know, I did, I took some counseling courses in, in school. Um, and th if somebody were to come to a counseling session and it got down into, Oh man, well I play games 18 hours a day and my wife, me, and you know, I haven't seen my kids and like, that would be something that we would hope to address even without having a, 
a term that's around. No, I, I totally agree that it's something you can tackle now. Um, but I think having more information about it doesn't hurt. I think it's it's better if um, the you know whoever is is doing it, like whether it's a counselor, um, a therapist, psychiatrist, has the full context behind it and knows a lot more about it. Because I mean, if you go to someone and you say, you know, I have all these problems with games and stuff, you know, I'm going to WoW, I'm hitting up the auction house or whatever, and then they're just like, I don't even know what WoW is to be honest. I feel like the more information they have about it, you know, maybe maybe some of this least research leads to, hey, you know. MMOs are like maybe some of the primary uh, culprits of gaming addiction. Let's get you the vocabulary you need, the insight you need into some of these games to help address it, you know, very specifically rather than, you know, through through kind of a, a broad lens, which I mean, the broad lenses totally help. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that got help that way. But I think more information and more research behind it isn't a bad thing. But they're not working with anyone that's creating these games. They're not talking... My biggest thing with this and the loot box band is all these kind of things. A lot of big things are moving in the backgrounds of gaming without any gamers actually being involved. They're not talk. The U.S. government isn't talking to the ESA about the loot box band. Um, the world hate the World Health Organization didn't talk to South Korea, one of the countries that is going to be the most affected by this because of their culture. They didn't talk to PlayStation, Sony, Microsoft. They didn't talk to the big names. They're not going to get this additional research because they're not working with these people. Well, they're, well, they're doing it in a bubble, now. but they're they're not, they're not doing it now. But if they're not going to, if these people aren't going to work with them when they're putting it into place, they're going to force it onto people. They're not going to work with it. The government is going to force on the regulations onto the ESA once they make the decision. They're not. There's no communication right there. You can't well, communicate with someone after a decision has been made. Yeah. Well. Well. To jump jump in on the the ESA thing. I mean, the ESA is a lobbying arm in Washington, so they have people that are that are talking. Um, but to an extent. To about the, but to an they, extent. Right. I don't know how much the dialogue is happening, but there's a presence in a conversation. Uh, I don't know how equipped the ESA is to be having the conversation either. Well, yeah, as disconnected as they seem to be from that's true. Uh, the, the overall, but uh, no, I do agree that I think you have to do it in a measured way because obviously, uh, Epic is not going to be like, oh yeah, uh, gaming addiction is a thing, and we want to help you combat it because their whole entire business model is created off of gaming addiction, um, like the the whales that are spending, you know bunches and bunches of money on their games. So I understand not wanting their, their input, but uh, to an extent, but I do agree that if you're gonna, if the goal is to define terms around and you're not actually working with the people who have created the terms that you're trying to define, then, uh, then you've missed the mark. Like uh, how do you talk about wow addiction? If you're not talking to people who have great experience with wow and defining those terms and equipping the people, the mental health professionals who will be treating these diseases, you know, to, to be able to talk directly to them. And to me, it just sounds more like a, Hey, we want to get something on the books to be able to diagnose it. Cause look at the end of the day, healthcare globally has its own models and profit wheels that it has to try to spin. And the best way to do that is, oh, let's create some hubbub around an addiction um, and get a bunch of people thinking that they have it. And then they're scheduling, you know, appointments and parents are scheduling appointments for their kids and they're buying med medication. So, like, while I agree that it's important to define those terms, it clearly hasn't been all that important for the World Health Organization if they haven't had conversations with the people who make those terms.
I, you know, I totally agree with you. I totally agree that there is too much of a profit incentive behind healthcare. And I think, uh, yeah, I think we should get rid of that, that profit incentive. So hopefully we can actually help more people, not based on profit, but based on actually health. Luke, you need to learn very quickly if you're going to be around here that you cannot leave those kind of windows open for no, Dylan. I, I, no, I agree with him. That's the no, thing. no, I know. I, I, I agree, too. I'm just making the joke. No, I absolutely but, agree as well. But it's just a joke that if you give Dylan too many opportunities, hey, it'll turn into a politics. Yeah, it'll turn into a political podcast. Than Look, an I just like putting my tinfoil hat on on these things. I think there's a there's a uh, conspiracy around why you wouldn't want gaming to do it. And I think there's a conspiracy around why the World Health Organization would want to do it no i, I, I agree. think there's a lot of i think there's a lot of incentive on both sides from you know uh lobbyists on both sides to push these kinds of things um so i, I definitely agree that there could be nefarious reasons behind it um but overall i think I, I at least i hope that this leads to a larger conversation with um other individuals actually within the industry to, to hopefully turn turn this kind of you know, negative PR kind of thing in, in the gaming industry right now into something that is actually helpful rather than something that just kind of hurts it. No, mm. yeah, I agree. No, I, it's just such a big conversation on so many fronts. Because, yeah, there's, there's incentives that we don't see happening in the forefront. There are definitely people that are going to be taking advantage of this. And there may be by this has been pushed so hard, but it's hard to really get into the nitty and gritty of that. That's not really what we're here to talk about. Ultimately, we're talking kind of more about the big ones. Because obviously anyone that is an esports professional probably could be diagnosed with this disorder because you have to play that much to become a professional. So it can be kind of counterproductive in that. Well, I, I also think, you know, obviously they they led with this definition, but if you're actually within a counseling session, um, with, you know, a licensed therapist or something, they're not going to go up. You, you know, played a lot of hours, um, into trying to make this your profession. They're going to look at the implications of doing that. They're going to look at the implications of, you know, are you currently in school and neglecting schoolwork for it? Are you currently, uh, skipping out on your job to do this? You know, things that are directly affecting your life like that. I, I think, I think those can, things contextually are a lot different. No, yeah, I, I agree, and I think I'd love to talk about this more. I think it's something we'll have to talk about more one day, but we are kind of cutting down with a couple more stories. So, Unless um, there any last points that either one of you really want to make for a big one before we kind of wrap up this conversation, at least for today, we can talk more about a post-show or more progressions around this entire conversation will be happening in the upcoming month. I'm not even going to question that, but anything today we need to talk about with this. I, I will say this. if Seriously, if there's anything in your life, video games, social golf that's impacting your life in that way go get the help that you need because there's professionals that are willing to that can help you work through those issues and if you know people who are impacted in those kind of ways you know help them find the help that they need because oftentimes they don't they don't recognize how destructive it's been for themselves so regardless of how i stand on the definition or anything i do believe that these are real issues that need real solutions i just don't know if this is the real solution yeah no i agree hire, hire more gamer doctors Hire more gamer doctors. That's the answer to everything. Dr. Mario. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I guess uh, something that's a lot more of a kind of a light topic and a more fun topic. We saw probably one of the most unique mashups in esports I've ever seen. And that is FlyQuest and Neopets. 
So FlyQuest, social media manager, I have to pretty sure Steve Forden on one of Friends podcast um, was the one behind this. And he came out with this split schedule all in Neopets. So every single, there'd always be two images to reflect the two teams. So a penguin represented like Cloud9 and a golden like eagle thing represented the Golden Guardians and things such as that. And they went down the entire schedule and then Neopets ended up replying with the icon that represented FlyQuest with the little FlyQuest jersey on and all that kind of stuff. And I think it is probably one of my favorite crossovers of all time. I mean, did you both of you play with Neopets growing up? Did you not? I will say this, dude. You're as as the host, your segue between these two stories was was teed up for you because Neopets is the origin of many people's gaming addiction. Absolutely. Now, I remember being in school and Neopets and Tamagotchis and all that stuff was just like banned you know you can't don't don't bring that stuff here because people were just obsessive about taking care of these things oh there i mean i i was obviously a little younger than both of you guys so i was kind of on the tail end of this oh, with like we webkins and <laughs> webkins is kind of what my generation of that was but this was i i just love this i mean there's not much to talk about but i just love seeing these kind of interactions between just random ass brands and childhood memories kind of coming together Mm-hmm. I think this is I I I felt like a fever dream looking at this thread to be honest. Um it was it's great though. I mean, you know, good pushes in social media, I think, you know, they definitely deserve props because it was a fun, unique way to do the um, you know, their schedule. Um and it was also cool that Neopets, I guess, is still very active and looks at social media all the time. Uh so it's cool, I guess. And you know, it's still an active development, so, so. <laughs> And I just think the best part of this was it was natural. I mean, there's so many things like this in esports, which is kind of what our next story is going to be about, that are forced, paid, and just kind of shoot horror into the games. This was something that was creative on the social media side. It was a flight quest, and Neopets kind of took advantage of it and just interacted with them. And I think that's what made it the most fun, why people kind of reacted the way they did, because it wasn't planned. It was fun. It was lighthearted. And it's something that... You don't see a lot of in esports right now. Everything's a paid promotion. Everything's pre-planned and all that kind of stuff. So seeing these kind of more fun and lighthearted interactions is something I want to see more of in esports. Because you see that in traditional sports of brands just interacting with each other because they're so well known. I just I think this was something great and I'd love to see more of it. But yeah, I don't know. Some other crazy crossovers. I'd love to see a Club Penguin crossover somehow. That was a lot of my <laughs> that was the beginning of my gaming addiction. Club Penguin. So how many accounts did you have get banned for language? Only two, and that was like kind of that was like late middle school when it wasn't cool anymore, and it was more cool to get them banned than actually play on them. Yeah, so you got them both banned there. But oh, there um, you go. I guess there's not too much else to talk on this. So I want to talk about the other side of kind of brand interactions on these sports is the Fortnite Times Jordan event. We've seen a lot of these before. We've seen crossovers with Avengers. Probably the biggest one, actually. Avengers and a couple other ones. A John Wick one happened not too recently, but pretty much just another in-game event where you can get Jordan-related merch either through skins, through challenges, you can get exclusive back bling and all that kind of stuff. And it's I feel like these are kind of becoming less and less impactful almost through Fortnite because Fortnite does so many of these. And I'm just curious to see what you guys think. I mean, the John Wick one just ended like a week and a half ago. And now you have Jordan ones. And do you think that these kind of paid promotions are going to keep being worth it? And we're going to see more of these kind of crossovers and games outside of Fortnite? Oh, or- yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They are yeah. making big bucks off of this. 
Yeah, Fortnite isn't doing this for the Fortnite audience. Fortnite is doing this for the Jordan brand and the John Wick audience and the Avengers audience and, you know, trying to pull people in. Like, obviously, there are incentives for theirs. But when you do these cross promotional things, the goal is to reach new people with what you're doing. Yeah, the, the money side of it is great um, that, that they're going to make from this event and people buying the skins. But uh, at the end of the day, the real value comes in people who are connected with the Jordan brand seeing it, you've got sneakerheads who'll see this and be like, oh, you know, the Jordan brand in the game. So, yeah, you're definitely going to continue to see this because when they when when they do events like this, sites scramble to be the first to post the article about it still. So I don't know. I honestly don't know where I heard this because um, sometimes media just, just like goes in my head and just gets all jumbled. So it could have been on our podcast. It could have been on PVA. It could have been on another stream. Um, but apparently I heard that uh, there's kids actually getting bullied in school that was from us i talked about that last week there was a study on that okay yeah 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 i think this is directly like this fits so perfectly with that conversation because like now you can get jays dude like (laughs) now your character can have jays like you can have it irl and in game like it's it's too much dude yeah do you think epic you know how they paid uh, like they pay streamers to to play their games and stuff do you think they have like plants at elementary school paying to like bully kids because they don't have uh they don't have the latest skins in Fortnite. all the devs send their kids and like <laughs> they, they like give them like really good skins and then tell them to bully other skins. <laughs> dude the, the the long arm of epic that would be like the that's like the yeah it's a middle school equivalent of like the affiliate programs that Mar- like monster and stuff do on colleges where they just force these college kids to dish it out i actually love that idea and if epic isn't doing that now <laughs> they should absolutely take advantage of it because I can't, that is- I can't wait for that kotaku piece <laughs> andrew um i i can't wait for the follow-up being like uh yeah uh andrew nimsgern uh supports bullying kids in middle schools Big, big money. It's all about the big money. Yo, big, big all, all press is good press, man. <laughs> exactly. And do you know, oh, Andrew Nimsgren, who's that guy? Oh, he runs a podcast. Project Esports blows up overnight. You're welcome. Yeah, everyone comes in here and they're like, are you guys bullying middle schoolers? Only occasionally. And that's nah, okay. The chat will just be filled with people who are like, who are like, yo, you're right, man. Those middle schoolers need to toughen up. It'll be all those dudes. Yeah, that's your right. Yeah, yeah. we'll have a lot around. of on social media will be attacked, and Twitch chat will be like, "Yeah, yeah. boy, those children." We want to hear the stories of that. All yeah, about your exactly. audience. Numbers are numbers, <laughs> Dylan. That's right. But. This is slippery slope, dude. Uh, pretty soon, the podcast listenership has just become alt right. We're we're going down a deep dark path, dude. <laughs> Which would be ironic with you on the podcast. But. So we just had our last universal healthcare conversation. We'll be able to pulling <laughs> a profit. Um, yeah, I guess with both of these kind of brand interactions, is there anything you guys want to kind of touch on these? I just thought they were kind of two flips of the same coin. One is a natural kind of fun interaction. Another one was a paid one. Just kind of getting your opinions on either one of them. We do have one honorable mention. Before we get to that, is there anything else you want to touch on? This is legit. The thing that's missing for a lot of games nowadays is like they don't have universes in them that it makes sense to do a brand interaction like this, you know, like, like what would overwatch be able to do, you know, like, yeah, it'd just be product placement more or less. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe billboard ads, but who cares about that? You know, like they do that stuff in Madden and other uh, sports games and I don't care about it, but uh, this is something that like, if I was a fan of Jays or whatever, I would, 
I'd be excited about. But uh, but yeah, I think Fortnite's done just a great job saying this makes sense in our universe. And even if it doesn't, we're going to make it make sense in our universe. Yeah, they can do whatever they want. But yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I love it. And obviously, I'm always kind of more on the business side of all of it. But I think it's a great idea. And yeah, it, it helps make gaming a reality. And especially we might have to see more of these if loot box do start to be cracked down on. Things like this are going to become more and more important for games to kind of stay afloat with these kind of brand interactions. But with the last thing, Dylan, I don't know if you want to take this or I can kind of take this. Yeah, I can. I can run through it really quickly. Yeah. So basically right now they're testing a uh, subscriber only viewing on certain Twitch channels. Um, so basically you go in there and they give you a five minute preview and then it's like, all right, you have to be a sub uh, to view this. Um, so I was actually watching a stream, uh, Devin Ash, ex uh, CEO of CLG uh, before this. And he was just talking about some of the implications. I think this is a good thing actually. Uh, so like it opens up the avenue for a pay-per-view on, on Twitch as well as uh, a Patreon like thing. Uh, for 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 Twitch channels. So, for instance, if we want to be like, hey, you know, we're going to do a subscriber only show and, you know, we can just activate it, turn it on and view it. Also, there might be some really interesting and cool things. So um, one speculation might be, you know, since everyone who has it, um, you know, could possibly be an Amazon Prime sub, um, you could have it to where you have a watch along with your audience through this medium if it's like through amazon uh prime video which would be really cool i think if they did that natively and another thing i completely forgot to include in there is that league of legends pretty much introduced the overwatch all access pass in the game so um it allows you to get player point of views um live stats multiple cameras all that kind of stuff pretty much what we've talked about with the old overwatch all access pass um the league of legends has it now in certain regions Totally forgot to include that in the main show, so wanted to throw that in here as well. But with that, um, it is going to... Um, with that, um, that is all we have for today. Um, Luke, before we kind of wrap up, first off, thank you so much for coming on again. And again, for anyone that wants to find your Presco Live, your PVA Nightly Roundup, all that kind of stuff, where can they find you on Twitch, on Twitter, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitch.tv slash PVA Radio. Go. And uh, you can find our podcast on podcast services everywhere. The search either PVA Radio for our gaming podcast or Presco Live for the streamer interview. And you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash PVA Radio as well. Follow me on Twitter at hoagie underscore OW. Which you can ask him about that in the post show because I've already gone on that conversation. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, with that, thank you so much for coming on, Luke. And thank you for all of you that tuned in, hung out in chat, listened on whatever platform you does. It always means the world to us. And with that, whether you like, leave a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform, watch on YouTube, any kind of interaction with us through any platform means the world to us. So if you can do that, whichever way it is, whether it's following, subscribing on YouTube, subscribing to the Twitch page, it all means so much. So please do whatever you can because we make the content for you. So the more interaction, the more you let us know, the more we try to make it exactly what you guys want. And we go live every single Monday, 630 Eastern Standard Time here at twitch.tv slash popped underscore off. Um, the following day, all our stuff goes up live, all the VODs and all that. If you don't make the live show, uh, go to our YouTube. Uh, just search like popped off uh, Project Esports. Go sub because we, we really want the custom URL so I can make this ending and outro a lot easier. So please go subscribe to us. Um, but if you want to listen to the best version, my favorite version, go listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcast uh, except uh, except Sound SoundCloud. Um, but everywhere else, Spotify, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, um, all those good ones. And with that, I'm Andrew. 
I'm Dylan. And I'm Luke. And thank you for listening to the Project Esports Podcast. We will see you guys next Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Till then, see you guys later.